I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then I want to read a letter to you. And you'll see how it ties in when I jump into Exodus 2. Because I want to show you a pattern of things with the revealing of God. All right, Father, um, You are Lord. You sent us a Redeemer. You sent us a Deliverer. And Father, I pray that we are overwhelmed about it. And Lord, I... uh, Lift these precious souls unto you. That, Father, your word will touch them. Your word will strengthen them. Your, word, your word will overwhelm them. And, Father, they will draw to the great things that you are doing, that you have shown yourself faithful in the past by doing. And, Father, even as I read this letter, what you will do. Thank you, Jesus. You are Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. We are in the 21st century, and everybody's having a blast. I met with a group of pastors who pray in Castle Rock um, on Thursday, and we've been doing it for a number of years. Um, A very good turnout this Thursday. um, And... um, I think there was 11 of us, 11 or 12 of us. And um, it, it just, it's just been a, a thrill at times, sometimes very disappointing. And this Thursday was kind of a shock to me. Uh, some of you know that on the 15th of September is the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and there will be a seminar and a time of worship in Denver to celebrate this. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is the celebration of the sixth day of creation, the day of Adam, the day of man, is, is what it's based on. That's what the Jewish holiday is based on. This year, 2007, in February, uh, 1,500 pastors across the, this country, the United States, signed a document that said that God created through evolution and that the earth is billions and billions and gazillions and whatever years old, and that science has proved this. On the 15th uh, will be this celebration at a church in Denver. Many of you have got brochures. I'm going to be up there. It's in two weeks. Um, And uh, it will be a, a time across this nation to draw the men and women of the Bible together. And we're trying to get 15,000 pastors to say that God created in six days, literal days, and that the earth is not old. It is only about 6,000 years old. Uh, I calculated it quickly one time and came up with 5832. Um, and I'll be honest with you, when I first did it, I thought, wow, I thought it'd be at least 50, 50,000. But anyway... I shared this with these pastors who pastor here in Castle Rock and out of the 11 or 12 that was there, two said that they would like to go to it. The others said that it is too divisive of a statement and it will only split the church. Huh. Really? Um, that text isn't that difficult. Uh, Exodus speaks of the text of Genesis. And on the sixth day, you will call it the Sabbath, set it apart because on the, or on the seventh day, you will set it aside because God on the 
seventh day rested. That's what Exodus says. Okay? It doesn't say for the six billion, first six billion years you work and then take the seventh billion years off. But that's what we're up against. And part of the reason, I think, comes to us out of this text, but comes to us in a several different ways. Has anybody here prayed and felt like God didn't answer the prayer? Do you know that if you're a Christian, as soon as you offer a prayer, it's instantaneously answered? Just like that. Every prayer that a Christian offers is instantaneously answered, just like that. Here's the answer. Yes, no, wait. Okay, then comes the struggle. Was that a yes? Was that a no? Was that a wait? And through his faithfulness, he will prove it to you. Okay, now I have a letter here, and you'll see how this lines up when I get into this text, because when you look at scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible, you will see the revealing of God. That's what it's all about. Until the conclusion of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and then there's no doubt. I mean, the skies, stars all go out, there's one light, poof, Jesus, and everybody's going to go, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, but up until that time, we have glimpses. He reveals himself because sin has marred the relationship between God and man. It's an interesting concept. I mean, look around. Is there sin? Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, I can pretty much rest assured with the rest of it. Okay, but he shows us in the 66 books of the Bible, sin and disobedience. If this sin, this is the disobedience, here's what's going to happen. He shows us what faith and obedience is. All right. If you trust him, that's obedience will come out of it and you will see him work. You will see that there was a need for a savior and that savior had to be a sacrifice because of the marring of sin. And we will see the coming kingdom and its glory. Okay. That's all the Bible does. You take those five principles in every text you read and you will find it. I guarantee it. I don't care what the text is. You'll see it. But I received this letter, and I want to share with you this letter. Okay, because there's times we in America, we don't, um, we're not sensitive to what God is doing. Okay, and there's a, a plethora of reasons. That's another good word, plethora. I like that word too. I don't know what it means but it's cool to say it just sort of flows a uh, plethora i mean that'd be a good song okay but anyway um when you see these things i i, I think that i think we in the church in america today um are so busy doing for god we don't see what god is doing does that make sense I mean, we knock ourselves out for Jesus. Uh, but I think a lot of us are knocking ourselves out for no apparent reason. I mean, the motive is good. I mean, it's, the motive is really good. I, you know, go back to these pastors, you know, they're doing this and that and this and that and the other, but I don't hear any of them in the word or prayer. And a pastor is supposed to have two primary responsibilities, word and prayer. And if, not in that order. It should be prayer than the Word or the Word and prayer. And that should be the bulk of his time. 
Well, but the, you're wrong. You can't say that's not what the church is expecting because if you are going to allow Jesus to build the church, then you have to fulfill your responsibility. Let me read you this letter. A brand new pastor and his wife, newly assigned to their first ministry to reopen a church in suburban Brooklyn. Okay? I, why? But anyway, um, they arrived in early October, excited about their opportunities, and when they saw the church, it was very run down and needed much work. So they set a goal to have everything done in time to have their first church service on Christmas Eve. Okay? That's cool, I think. Anyway, they worked hard repairing pews, plastering walls, painting, etc. And on December the 18th, we're ahead of schedule and just about finished. On December 19th, a terrible storm, driving rainstorm, hit the area and lasted for two days. On the 21st, the pastor went over to the church and his heart sank when he saw that the roof had leaked, causing a large area of plaster about 20 feet by 8 feet to fall off the front wall uh, of the sanctuary just behind the pulpit, beginning about head high. So a big chunk of plaster has fallen off. Pastor cleaned up the mess on the floor and not knowing what else to do but postpone the Christmas Eve service, he headed home. On the way, he noticed a local business was having a flea market type sale for charity, so he stopped in. One of the items was a beautiful handmade ivory-colored crocheted tablecloth with exquisite work, fine colors, and a cross embroidered right in the center. It was just about the right size to cover the hole in front of the wall. He bought it headed back to the church. By this time, it had started to snow. An older woman running from the opposite direction was trying to catch the bus, and she missed it. And the pastor invited her to wait in the warmth of the church for the next bus, which was 45 minutes later. She sat in the pew and paid no attention to the pastor. (laughs) It's like Sunday. Okay. While he got up on the ladder and hangers, etc., to put up this tablecloth as a wall tapestry. The pastor could hardly believe how beautiful it looked, and it covered up the entire problem area. Then he noticed the woman walking down the center aisle. Her face was like a sheet. Pastor, she asked, where did you get that tablecloth? The pastor explained where he had bought it. And the woman asked him to check the lower right-hand corner to see if the initials EBG were crocheted into it. They were. These were the initials of the woman, and she had made this tablecloth 35 years before in Austria. The woman could hardly believe it as the pastor told how he had gotten the tablecloth. The woman explained that before the war, she and her husband were well-to-do people in Austria. And when the Nazis came, they were forced to leave. Her husband was going to follow her the next week. He was captured and sent to prison and never saw her husband or her home again. The pastor wanted to give her the tablecloth. 
but she made the pastor keep it for the church. The pastor insisted on driving her home, at least that he could do. And she lived on the other side of Staten Island, uh, which is in Brooklyn, for the, for the day of her house cleaning job. That's what she did for a living. What a wonderful service they had on Christmas Eve. The church was almost full. The music and the spirit were great. And at the end of the service, the pastor and his wife greeted everyone at the door and many said they would return. One older man, whom the pastor recognized from the neighborhood, continued to sit in one of the pews and stare. And the pastor wondered why he wasn't leaving. The man asked him where he got the tablecloth on the front of the wall because it was identical to one that his wife had made years before when they lived in Austria, before the war. And how could there be two tablecloths so much alike? He told the pastor how the Nazis came and how he, he, how he forced his wife to flee for her safety, and he was supposed to follow her, but he was arrested and put in prison, and he never saw his wife or his home again all of the 35 years in between. The pastor asked him, if he would allow him to take him for a little ride. They drove to Staten Island and to the same house where the pastor had taken the woman three days earlier. He helped the man climb the three flights of stairs to the woman's apartment, knocked on the door, and he saw the greatest Christmas reunion you could ever imagine. This was submitted by Pastor Bob Reed. Okay? I want us to think about that when we jump into this. Chapter 2. Now there was a man from the house of Levi. And he went and married a daughter of Levi. Okay, we've already seen that the original um, sons of Jacob have all died. Okay. And now we're talking two generations out from Jacob. The woman conceived and she bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Why? Verse 22, chapter 1. The Pharaoh commanded all of his people, saying, Every son who is born to you, you are to cast into Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. All right? So you have somebody here who has disobeyed Pharaoh's order. All right? So I want us to think about this and keep it in context because what you have are are four pharaohs, okay? Now, pharaoh is a a significant, it's a title, but it's a title to deity. Uh, It's like Caesar. There wasn't a whole bunch of Caesars. Caesar was a title that was given to a man, right? Pharaoh is the same type of title. There was Thutmose I who lived uh, between 15 and 1526 and 1512 BC. Thutmose II which, who lived between 1512 and 1504. And Thutmose III who was 1504 to 1450. Then you have Amenhotep II who lived from 1450 to 14. 25. What is the significance? Moses is born under Thutmose I, 1526 to 1512. All right? He grows up under Thutmose II. 
Right? That's the household, and that would be the daughter that you will see. Okay? He gets exiled under Thutmose the third. Alright? Please, it's not the way you've seen it in the movies. Alright? Pharaoh, Thutmose the third tries to kill Moses, and Moses flees. There isn't this, I will send you away. No, 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 no. Pharaoh tries to kill him. And he flees. But then it's under Amenetheth II that you see in what you and I know as the Exodus. Okay? So Moses is born soon after the decree in verse 22 of chapter 1. Okay? And his mother hides him. She conceived. And she saw that the child, he was beautiful. This, please, I hear people say, well, he stuttered, he stammered, he did this, he had a hair lip, he did it. No, the kid was beautiful. He was beautiful. She could no longer hide him after the three months was up. He had started walking, was probably getting into everything and just, you know, you know, you know how children are. He rolled over and got up. <laughs> I mean, y'all, if you've, you've had kids, you know what I'm talking about. We want them to roll over. We want them to roll over. We want, then they do that and we think, well, isn't that swell? Isn't that swell? No, they just roll off the couch now. Okay. And then, then we said, but we want them to walk. We want them to walk. We want them to walk. And then, we don't want them to walk. Children should not be allowed to walk till they're 18. Okay. Because they just get into everything. All right. And then, then you just want to run them off at 18. Anyway, here's what he says. All right, for three months. All right, here's what happened. She could no longer hide him. She got him a wicker basket and covered over with tarred pitch. You know what the wicker basket is described of in the original language? An ark. It's an ark. Kind of like Noah's boat. And he had to put tarred pitch on his. And she put the child into it and she set it along the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now, his sister, now watch what it does. You've got to pay real close attention to this. His sister, okay, whose sister? Moses' sister. Anybody know who that is? You know her name? Miriam. Miriam. So Miriam is older. Miriam, his sister, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. My little baby brother's going whitewater rafting. I wonder how it's going to work out. Verse 5. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the Nile, and her maidens walking alongside the Nile. They saw the basket along the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. All right, so Pharaoh's daughter is down there. She's taking a bath. One of her maidens finds this little basket with little Moses in it. The whole time, Miriam is watching. When she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the boy was crying, and she took pity on him and said, this is one of them Hebrew children. Okay? So the daughter's like, I know why this kid is in the Nile, but why is he in this ark? Okay? Then his sister, who? Miriam. Miriam sees Pharaoh's daughter pick up the child, right? His sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? 
Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and got the child's mother. Slick, ain't it? All right. Now, we look at that. When you look at that, you say, okay, she doesn't want the child to drown, so she's just going to take some chances and, and we'll see what happens. And so we got Miriam kind of peering through the reeds going, where's the Moses going? Wow, cool. And it just happens that Pharaoh's daughter walks out and it just happens that she runs over and says, would you like me to go get a Hebrew woman to feed the child for you? Well, sure. Mom, they want you to feed Moses. Okay. Do you see behind that how that works? It's like the tablecloth. We do things. Sometimes they are as benign and unobtrusive. They have ab- sometimes they don't make any sense whatsoever, do they? And yet God behind the scenes is orchestrating everything. I mean, you know, you can sit and say, well, this was all planned and you had sitting the little baby out there and she was over here and she was watching and Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen, this could have been any Egyptian woman walk out and take a bath. But God brought Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter. Okay? This is a picture of God's power. This is a picture of God's sovereignty. Okay? This is a picture of God overriding Pharaoh's death decree. Not only does he override it, he draws it right into his own home. God is already working to put God's chosen leader in the position that he wants God's chosen leader to be in. I've got a book that I read, The Legacy of Sovereign Joys, it's called, and it deals with men who would not waver on the word of God and God literally changed the whole direction of Christendom by one individual who becomes that hinge pin. You ever seen the hinges on your doors? It's got three lines in this way, three lines in that, and then you put a big old steel pin right through the center of it and then bugger a swing. And you can swing some big old doors on these pins. God takes men, he takes women who will not surrender his word and he will literally change countries. I've seen him do it with Martin Luther. I've seen him do it with John Calvin. I've seen him do it with Augustus. I've seen him do it with Robert Murray McShane. I've seen him do it with John Knox. I've seen him do it over and over and over and over again. He is so consistent with that. Stand on the word. Don't move. Don't be swayed. And I will do amazingly more than you ever thought or imagined. God's chosen leader. Look at verse. Pharaoh's daughter said, yes. Then verse 9 says, Pharaoh's daughter said, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I shall give you wages. She's going to pay Moses' mom to nurse Moses. Perfect. I love God. All right. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Look at verse 10. Key phrase. Oh, you need to pay attention to this phrase. The child grew and she brought him up in Pharaoh's 
to Pharaoh's daughter. This is the phrase. And what? He became her son. Make a note of that phrase. And he named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Okay? Listen, that is entering this child into nobility. That's basically what it does. There are, we will call it, the, there are, are some special privileges to be in this household. Okay? Do you read that text? She did what? He became her son. All right? So Pharaoh's daughter brings it in and he becomes an heir to the throne. Now I want you to keep, mark this down. I want you to write this down and make a note in your Bible. You go look at it later and I'll tell you something. I'll tell you what it says, but you go look at it later. It comes out of the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 24. Okay, you can just go look at it a little later. I'm going to tell you what phrase that I want to talk about. You know why? You know what Hebrews 11 is, right? It's called the Faith Hall of Fame. By faith, such and such did, and by faith, such and such. It just goes through and just rock and rolls the universe, right? All right. Faith Hall of Fame. Moses is mentioned. Well, duh, that makes sense. Chapter 11, verse 24 says this of Moses. Quote, he refused to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter. Did you get that? She made him her son. By faith, he refused to be called Pharaoh's son. Okay? That's important. That's very important. Because it goes on and says... Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, he went about with the brethren and he looked at the hardship of the letter. Do you see what, see what happened? He went and looked at the hardship of who? His brethren. If he would have accepted his position in Pharaoh's house, then who was his brethren? The Egyptians. Okay, so there's a, a quantum leap here. All right, he, he, he grows up. He learns the three R's, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. All right. But because he's nobility, he would have learned more. He would have learned building. He would have learned uh, archery. He would have learned horsemanship. He would have learned how to be a warrior. He would have learned all kinds of stuff that Pharaoh's court would have been involved in. He would have had the best education around. All right. And it is massive. If you ever really want to do something, look at the 18th dynasty of the, uh, of the Egyptian empire and you will see some, some of the things that they could do is just amazing. And he would have been educated in that. All right. So verse 11 skips his life. Skips his life. And then he jumps right in in 11 and 12, um, 16 and 21 to the events that lead to the exile. Okay, there are two injustices that happen. Okay, the two injustices have different consequences. All right. One injustice is that he leaves home. Why? He kills an Egyptian. But he finds a new home. And he finds a wife. Look what it says. 
Moses had grown up and he went out with his brother and he looked at the hard labor that he saw and the Egyptians were beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Note that. He knows who he is. Pharaoh's house has accepted him as his son, all right, but he has not accepted Pharaoh's house. So he looked away at, <clears throat> he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no, no one around, he struck the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Okay, buried him. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other, and he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? And he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely this matter has become known. Stop right there. All right. Understand what Moses' religious background is. What is it? Raw. That's what he's exposed to. Raw, the sun god, and all the little gods. All right. But he's still a Hebrew. But are the Hebrews allowed to worship? No, you don't see it. You just don't see it. It's not in the text. But he understands, but yet he is vague on the promises that God has made to the heirs of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. He's not aware of that. And the truth of the matter is, you and I sometimes are unaware of the promises God has given us. How many have prayed for peace? You already have it. You're just unaware of it. He says, I already give it to you. Listen, if you have peace with me, then you have my peace. You may not believe it. You may not act like it. But quit bugging me about it. You already got it. You have a Christmas present that you haven't opened. Just open the gift and be done with it. Oh, oh never thought of that. All right, and you've seen it. I have seen it. I have seen it. I have seen it. My mom has lost two husbands. And in both cases, I have never seen anything like it. It was as if nothing happened. And you know, and everybody's saying, I think she's in denial or I think she's doing this. No. Why? She said, you know what? God said it was time to come home. Bye. I mean, it isn't that my mom doesn't miss these men. It's just that I've had my time. Thank you. That is the peace of God. It is an amazing thing if you ever get to see it. I mean, you just sit there in awe. And I mean, and you know what you'll do? The same thing that I do. Well, they're just in denial. You know, they'll wake up one day and say, oh, it's not working. You know, give them some uppers or downers or rounders or something, and they'll all be better. Some counseling. But you see what I'm trying to get at? That is the American church. Who would have ever thought you were going to bring a husband and a wife back together after 35 years? Especially war. World War II, when the whole planet was disjointed. And then bring them together... Uh, one in Brooklyn and one in Staten Island. And then all of a sudden the tablecloths show up. And that is the catalyst that both of them say, whoa, I know that tablecloth. So women, you need to crochet more. No, just kidding. <laughs> Isn't that what that means? I think that's what it means, right? See, 
this dying art of crochet needs to be resurrected so families can be, I don't know. Let's read on. It's obvious the word's out, all right? Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, okay, Thutmose third heard this. He tried to kill Moses. Listen, they didn't have a little court thing in, in okay, Moses is a Hebrew. and we, uh, I just love you so much, Moses, that I'm just going to send you into exile. That's, that's uh, that movie, The Ten Commandments. Okay, that's not biblical based. Pharaoh tried to what? Killing. What was Moses doing? He fled. <laughs> I'm thinking that's a good plan. Somebody tries to kill me. Bye. See ya. Especially if the ruler of the country that I'm sitting in. Someone will run to another country. And he settled in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. That's a good place. If you ever look at the thing of Midian, you'll see that it's on the east shore of the Gulf of Agabah. Um, and, and you also just make a note who the Midianites are. You see them in Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 4. Uh, interesting group of people. Um, does anybody know who they are offsprings of? Some dude named Abraham. <coughs> what luck! Distant relatives. Okay, now Moses doesn't know this. Okay. And he came to rule. Okay, this, who in the heck is this? All right, rule their father, he said. Why have you come back so soon? All right. I want to, that's verse 18. Now I'm going to bring you up to speed on this in a second, okay? What happened? He's hanging out at this well, all right? What happens when he's at the well? Listen, if you know that area at all, it's, there's one thing that will draw everybody. Water! Why? Because there ain't none. If you find a place that's got water, you won't move far from it. Okay, or you'll have a bunch of bags or something like that. Now, I want you to think about this because he sits down by that well, and then there's a little phrase there in verse 16, the verse, first part of verse 16. What does it say in yours? Mine says, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Interesting statement, don't you think? He sat down by the well and the priest, what the heck has this got to do? His name is Rule. You also know him by another name in chapter 3, verse 1. Bodine. Jethro, Bodine. No, just kidding. Right? No, everybody's going, what Bible are you reading from? If you didn't see the clampets and Beverly Hillbillies, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you have seen it, then you sit there and go, well, yeah, that's the God had the concrete pond. No. Anyway, here's what it says. Don't you find it fascinating? Think about it. He's a priest. Who's his ancestor? So who is this a priest to? Yahweh. Yahweh. God. See, we get into it, the Red Sea parted and the angel death and the door stops and all the rest. Let me tell you something. 
God is moving the universe way before that ever happened. He puts him in a little boat, floats him across the Nile. Who gets happens to come out to take a bath? Pharaoh's daughter puts him in the house of Pharaoh, highly educated man. He is a Hebrew. Guess what God also does in Moses' life? Refuses to allow his faith to move to the Egyptians. Please hear me on that one. When you look at the the 18th dynasty of the Egyptian empire, they will rule the planet. And he refuses to follow that. What do we do in this country? We do amazing stuff. We walk on the moon. We can put the Bible in a little bitty computer chip thing and 92 different translations and concordances and and then the battery goes out and you're blind. You don't know what you're doing anymore. Okay? Right? You do. And you put more faith in what? I got a book in there on my shelf and I I remember reading this a few years ago. Why the government can't save you. It's an interesting book. Why? Because we really think they can. If I get into this big a mess, then this is going to happen. No, 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 no. This is very clear here. This man never refused. Now, he wasn't that steadfast, but now he's only going to spend how many years in the land of the Mennonites? Forty. Forty. You understand that? He doesn't hang out with Jethro for a little while. He's there for 40 years. 40 years. Now, what has happened? Please hear this. The decree came from Thutmose the first to kill the Jewish boys. Right? Moses is born. Now Moses has grown up. Now Moses has run off. And now Moses has got 40 years of raising goats and sheep. Do you suppose that it's gotten any better with them little Jewish boys in Egypt? No. No. <clears throat> then the shepherds came, drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Okay? And he came to rule their father and said, Why have you come back so soon today? And they said, What? Verse 19. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. All right, so you had a bunch of people came up. They wanted to fight over the well. And who's going to get water? Who's going to do this? Moses intervened in the middle of it. And not only that, did he act like a military man? Did he act like he had some kind of, he may have had weapons with him. He may have, but he looked Egyptian. And then, can you believe it? The crazy Egyptian did what? He drew water and watered them. Crazy. This man is of the Egyptians. They don't do stuff like that. They have cities and horses and chariots and slaves. They don't get their hands dirty. Verse 20. He said to his daughters, where is he then? Okay, so what happened is his daughters had been down there. And of course, you know how men are when you take your car to the mechanic if you're a woman. Your muffler bearing is going out. It's going to cost you $42 million, but don't worry, I can get it done in 10 minutes. And you think, wow, what a deal. And there's no such thing as a muffler bearing. And if you paid $42 million for anything, I need to sit down and talk to you. Okay. But you see what I'm trying to get at? 
Women, you ever struggled with that? Go to the mechanic and get a wonderful bill for stuff that you think that they helped you with. What happened at the well? Same thing. Jethro's daughters were there. Rules. How did you get back to this? And this Egyptian helped us out. Okay? Just a kind-hearted Egyptian dude. Okay? Verses 21 through 23 um, skips a lot of the unimportant stuff. Okay? But note there's 40 years. He has a new home, a new family. But he also ends up with what? A new calling, a new job description. You're preparing to take two million people camping. And you thought goats were bad. All right. Moses was willing to dwell with the man and he gave his daughter Zephorah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son and named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a what? Foreign land. Oh, is God revealing himself or what? One of the things that I see happening in the church today is that we don't understand we're sojourning through here. Most Christians in America today have no idea that you're just passing through this place. We want to set down roots, family, don't we? I want to have all of this. You know what? I heard a guy say it this way one time. He says, in America, the church now um, loves things and uses people. It used to be that they loved people and used things. And we get that way, don't we? We get stuff that we become attached to. And then when God says, you don't need that anymore, we do what? Argue. (laughs) Wow. Maybe you guys don't. Let me show you some things. I want to conclude this quickly. They gave birth to Gershom. Now it came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died. Okay? This would be that most the third and the new one is going to come in. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. Now watch what happens there at the end of verse 23. Okay? Sighed. It literally means um, an overwhelming exhaustion is set forth. They just, because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose to God. Okay? So the hardship of chapter 1 has finally done something. Now, do you understand what happened here? The hardship, remember when he started afflicting them in Exodus 1? The more they afflicted her, the more they prospered. And I mean, they tried to be cruel about it. And the more they prospered. And remember, they said to midwives, we'll have you kill the male children. And the midwives were what? Feared God. And I'm not doing it. It's Pharaoh or God and I'm taking the God side. All right? So the midwife says, we're not going to do this. And so under this persecution, this persecution, this persecution, and then finally he decrees that if you are an Egyptian and you see any male Hebrew child, throw him in the Nile. Throw him in the Nile. Okay? If they have a daughter, fine. Any Hebrew child that is male, you kill it. So what happens? We get Moses. He lives. 
grows to his teens probably. So you've got how many years? And what are they doing to the male children? We don't know. I mean, we don't know if they recounted this, but all science says no. So you have this constant pat, uh, persecution, this constant turmoil on these people, slaves in bondage. But it takes another 40 years for what to happen? For them to be collective, one in their cry to God. And when they are collective in their cry to God, you see four words that shows the revealing of God. One, he heard. Two, he remembered. Okay? Three, he looked upon it. Four, he acknowledged it. Okay? Now listen, when God hears, remembers, looks upon it, and acknowledges, you know that a response is coming. You know that a response is coming. He heard their groanings, and God remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel. God took notice of what was coming and what was happening. Okay? Chapter verse 24, he takes them back to a unilateral covenant that you see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 21, and in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 22. Got it? Yes, sir. 12, 1 through 3, 15, 1 through 21, 17, 1 through 22. Unilateral. God says, I promise, and I don't care what you do. I like those promises. Because the one promise I can make to God is I can't keep a promise to God. He confirmed it with Isaac in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 15, and Genesis chapter 35, 9 through 15. Okay? It's a geographical promise. What is the geographical promise? There's only one person on the whole of planet who's ever been promised land. Israel. Seed of Israel. So only one. Nobody else. North America, nope. Europe, nope. Africa, nope. Asia, nope. Europe, nope. Little bitty country in the center. And God doesn't say, if you do this, I, nope. God says, I'll make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation and the whole world will be blessed from you. Okay? I have a little footnote I'd like to take you to. I thought I had a... Yeah. The D books. The book of Daniel. Okay, now remember. Four words, God, right? Somebody acknowledge me. Amen. Four words. Remembered, looked upon, acknowledged. Heard. Let me share with you something how God does it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, 
king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar and to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels to the treasury of his God. Little g, little g, little g. Then the king ordered Ashphez, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family of the nobles, youths in whom was looking no defect and were good-looking, showing intelligence. Well, I'd never, ever get in that group, would I? Uh, Every branch of wisdom, uh, nope. Uh, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge who had the ability for serving in the king's court and they ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. All right. Who gave the Jews over to Nebuchadnezzar? The Lord did. Chaldeans and, and then Babylonian people are nasty people. Really nasty people. The king appointed for some a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years and at the end they were to enter the king's personal service. He's grooming them for him. He's bringing these Jewish people and integrating them with the Babylonian culture. Among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hannah, Mishael, and Azah. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Funny how we remember the Chaldean name and we don't remember the Jewish name. Fascinating, don't you think? It just doesn't flow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's just easier than Hannah, Mishael, Ezah. Yeah, whatever. See, the Hebrews just, just don't get the flow. All right. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. Hmm. <laughs> To Daniel was assigned the name Belteshar. To Hannah was Shadrach. To Misha, Misha, and has a Abednego. Okay. Now, why are we reading this? Verse eight. Look at verse eight says. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. What? It's just food. Is it really that big a deal? Sure. It is. What would happen if you got adopted into a pagan nobility? Would your faith be strong enough to serve the one true God? These are teenagers here. You know, I, I watch people tell me what youth group's supposed to be, and I go to Daniel. I mean, there ain't no adult babysitting these kids saying, Do not bow to the pagan gods, my child. Nope. They have a greater fear of God than they do the Babylonians. And we all know that what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Little fire problem. I mean, you know, and then they come out and they don't even smell like smoke. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar's going, oh my God. And then we had a little kitty cat problem with Daniel, Belshazzar. 
right? You have the same picture with who? Moses. I can show it to you over and over and over again. I will not corrupt my faith. I'm not corrupting my faith. I'm not going to be as the world. I want to be as of God. Okay, now I want you to think about it for a second. I read you that letter and I started this out. Okay, a pastor and his wife, brand brand new to the ministry. Okay, got ready, got the building ready, worked their bony fingers to the bone, right? Got it ready. God brought a little rain, 20-foot piece of plaster falls out. He goes, finds a covering, hangs it up. And God says, now watch. Okay? God's still doing this stuff. Why don't we trust Him? Why don't we trust Him? He will do immeasurably more than we ever thought or imagined. I got information from Dane the other day that we're getting clobbered on our website. Okay? It has... I'll use the word again, grown exponentially. He's gotten it up. Now, there is four and a half, almost five years of preaching. Okay, oh, what does that mean? Uh, Let's see, 52 hours times five. Okay, all right. And we're getting a bunch of stuff out of Indonesia. We took over an area in Russia that had two churches the size of the Carolinas and Virginia. Okay? We now have 17 churches, and we have 17 expository preachers in each of the churches. We started out with two Antioch places. Now we got 20, and all of them have a coalition here in the United States, and they're all starting to pick up and do what we've been doing for the last four years. And we're doing it with 25 people. And I heard a guy the other day say, well, it's just because you have managed to bond together and, you know, like uh, personalities and stuff like that. I says, I don't like Russians. I don't like the Russian language. It has a weird looking alphabet to me uh, and it doesn't have enough vowels. Okay, I'm not Slavic in any of my heritage. You can't find it there. The only thing that I have in common with them men in Russia is one thing. That book. That's it. I have nothing else in common with them. And when I go there, they know that I'm going to give them the book and I will be extremely passionate about it. But see, we want to say... Well, maybe you came from like backgrounds or your personalities or... No! It's the book, people! I really wish we would understand that! People say, well, you get passionate! It's the book! It's the book. Why? It starts with Moses! Gee, many crickets! I see Daniel! I see Samuel, I see Ezekiel, I see Elijah, I see Elisha, I see all of these people, I see Joshua, I can see Ruth, I can see Esther, I go down the line and they all have the same thing in common. Got it in the Bible. What was Paul's big passion? The book. Preach the word. 
season, out of season. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. It ain't my power. I need you to help me get saved. I can't help you get saved. I can tell you that heaven is up. But I don't know what that means if you're standing in China. Because if I'm up here, China is down. And that ain't either. Why? Because it's the way God does stuff. Do you see that? Brothers and sisters, four words. God hears. God remembers. God looks upon what you're dealing with. He acknowledges it. And know, know, know that there is a response coming. And I like that. God answers every Christian's prayer just like that. Yes, no, wait. I don't care what it is. Instantaneous. Why? He hears you. He remembers. He looks upon you. He acknowledges it and says, on the way. But you do have a responsibility. What are you focused on? What are you focused on? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brother Moses. Father, I thank you that you showed me that though in his mortal life he never touched foot on the promised land, and yet, Father, in his eternal life, you graced him with the privilege of stepping into the promised land. Father, how faithful you truly are. Father, we who are called by your name, please help us. Please, I beg you, help us to be in remembrance of your faithfulness, that no matter what is going on, you're in absolute control. And in Father, it is for your glory every time. And that, Father, you draw it to its conclusion in your perfection. Thank you. Thank you, King of kings and Lord of lords. To your glory and praise. Amen.